O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen. Help is on the way. When you're in a difficult situation, those five words can make all the difference. Help is on the way. When I was in college, I was involved in a pretty bad car accident. A vehicle crossed the center line and hit me head on. I wasn't able to walk on my right leg for about four months. It was so severely broken, but luckily I was fine other than that. And I remember not knowing what to do. Because of my leg, I could not physically get out of the car. But someone came over to the car and told me, I've called 911. Help is on the way. And the sound of those sirens was one of the most reassuring sounds I have ever heard. Or perhaps you've heard the story about American prisoners of war in World War II Germany. After Victory Day, even though the prisoners were still imprisoned, there was exuberant celebration when news came over the radio. They knew help was on the way. They knew their current predicament would soon be over. Knowing that help is on the way can transform a frightening, uncertain, and lonely situation into one of hope and strength. The message that help is on the way is what this week's collect is anticipating. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. This prayer goes back to the 700s and draws on both Psalm 80 and chapter 12 of Hebrews. It's a prayer of urgency. It does not begin the way most of our prayers do with the address, gracious God or Almighty Father or anything like that. No, this prayer gets right down to business naming that we need help and we need it now. Stir up your power, O Lord. Sort of like when you see a disaster coming, the plate is about to get knocked off the table. We don't say, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, sir, but please, would you mind the plate on the edge of the table? No, we shout, look out! And that's what this prayer is doing. There is no time for pleasantries. This is a bold plea for God to intervene. This prayer also has an interesting cultural impact as well. In England, the Sunday on which this collect is used is known as Stirrup Sunday. Not because anyone is getting their horses ready for riding with stirrups, but because this was the Sunday that you had to stir up your pudding. You know, the figgy pudding that those carolers at your door are asking for? They won't go until they get some. <laughs> but the pudding, it takes a long time for it to be ready. So while it sets, you have to stir it from time to time. And then on Christmas, you get to warm it up and enjoy it. And this prayer became a reminder to everyone to make sure they were stirring the pudding. Now, obviously, that is not why this prayer was written. But it has come to offer not only a godly plea for help, but also a culinary reminder. And just as the pudding needs to get stirred up so it will come out right, the disorder of this world needs to get stirred up and healed by God's bountiful grace and mercy. The question for us is, do we trust that help is on the way? I've preached a few times in the past year about the idea of enchantment. 
And you'll probably hear me continue to weave that theme into sermons over the next couple of months. In January, I'll be teaching a class at Hood Seminary that's going to focus on preaching and enchantment. Now, by enchantments, I do not mean believing in fairies or unicorns. Rather, enchantment is about being open to possibilities that are not currently present and visible. Enchantment is about being humble enough to realize that we don't know it all. The poet Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote, The world is charged with the grandeur of God. In other words, there is more to life than meets the eye. There is more to the past than history can ever tell. There is more going on all around us than we can ever be aware of. There is more ahead of us than we can even begin to imagine. Trusting that help is on the way, even if we cannot yet see it, is one aspect of enchantment. Our typical lens, though, is one of reduction. We tend to reduce the meaning of things, not expand them. Our culture values explanations more than it does possibilities. Too much of our lives revolve around what is provable and quantifiable. And so when I tell you that the distance from the Earth to the Sun is about 91 million miles, no one really questions that. Even though none of us have ever directly made that measurement, and most of us would not even begin to know how to calculate it. But when I say the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ given for you, well then people have all sorts of questions and qualifications. To be clear, I'm not trying to get into a science versus religion sort of debate, which is not a debate at all because both science and religion are on the same side. Both are concerned about the power and the pursuit of truth. The question is, why do we trust help when it comes from one place and remain doubtful about other sources of help? It's a question of enchantment. When we pray that prayer, stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us, do we expect that help really is on the way? The prophet Isaiah in today's reading speaks of the earth bringing forth its shoots and as a way of understanding God's work and movement in the world. We all know that below the surface, the soil is just brimming with life and possibility. A seed is placed in the ground and remains out of sight, and yet transformation is happening. Eventually, life breaks forth in a green shoot. So, Isaiah says, the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up. The thing about enchantment is that there is nothing that I can say or do to enchant you. If you believe that God is up to something in this world, thankfully, there is nothing I can do to make you lose that sense of faith. But if you're not so sure about this whole enchantment business, if you think spirituality is something kind of like yoga, something that's good for your mental well-being, but that's it, if you think faith is about what we do in this world as opposed to what God is up to in the world, well, there's nothing that I can say to make you think otherwise. Enchantment is a little bit like love. It's impossible to make yourself fall in love with someone, just as it is impossible to make yourself not love someone, even if you really don't want to. 
Just as love transcends our ability to understand, explain, or control, it's the same for being open to possibilities that are beyond our immediate senses. What I can offer, though, is a description of enchantment that might help you to experience it. Enchantment, or we can call it faith, openness, wonder, it happens not through our wills or our intellects. We cannot make ourselves open to wonder through logic or stubbornness. No, enchantment comes through our attention. This world is a beautiful, wonderful, and amazing place. But noticing that requires attention. I've quoted the poem many times before, and I'll do it again now. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only they who see take off their shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. It's about what we notice. Consider Psalm 126. If you're in the habit of praying noonday prayer, you know this psalm well. It's used often in that liturgy. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Those shoots of God's deliverance had sprung up and the people recognized that the Lord was doing great things for them. Their attention was on God. And so they noticed God's grace and mercy. Sort of like an iceberg. We think we see the whole thing, but we know we only get a glimpse. We think that when we have success, it's because of our hard work, persistent efforts, innate intelligence. When in reality, we find ourselves in a situation that we did not create, supported by people who we do not control, with resources that we did not obtain on our own. It's all about where we put our attention. If we're always looking at ourselves, looking inward, that will limit our vision and diminish our sense of enchantment. The psalmist, though, recognized that their mouth was filled with laughter, their tongue with shouts of joy. Notice the passive voice. The psalmist knows that they did not fill their own mouth with laughter. They did not bring about their salvation. They noticed that those dry water courses of the Negev are now flowing with water. The dry rivers flow with water, just as the faces that had been tearful become exuberant with singing. This is why the church encourages all of us to pray. It's not that God needs our prayers, but we need to be trained in attentiveness. We need to learn what our help looks like so that we recognize it when it arrives. In reading scripture, we come and see the truth that though we go out weeping, it is possible to come again with joy. Sins can be forgiven. Deaths can be resurrected. In prayer, we pay attention to those things that we overlook during the busyness of our days. We notice the beauty that's all around us. We make connections that we had ignored. We receive those nudges of hope and peace. I cannot make you believe. I cannot enchant the world for you, but I will encourage you to just leave that door open to those moments when things happen 
that you cannot explain. Most of us have moments of doubt, and that's okay. But we also have moments of faith. So trust that those are just as real as your doubts. For some reason, we tend to give more attention to what we doubt than what we are sure of. So when you see one of those sparkles of grace, hold on to it and trust that it is real. The psalmist notes that they were like those who dream. Dreams are all about enchantment, about possibility and wonder. Dreams are about our deepest hopes and longings. What do you hope for? What is your dream for this world? A dream means something that is not yet, but we hope one day will be. Our dreams are held in the hands of God, the God who is on the way. And those dreams are coming true. If we just have eyes to see mercy in places of brokenness, love in times of fear, paying attention to that which is on the way matters because it trains us to notice those dreams as they become a reality. You might know that what is perhaps the most famous speech in recent history was not planned as such. On August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King stood in front of the Lincoln Memorial to make a speech. It was a speech about a bad check that America had written to African Americans. Read the speech, and you'll find that there's language about promissory notes, insufficient funds, and moral bankruptcy. King intended to give a speech using economic language to refer to injustice. And by all accounts, it was a fine speech. But no one was captivated by it. No one was enchanted by the possibility of something new ever happening. So the speech was not quite falling flat. It just wasn't stirring anything up. And so the gospel singer, Mahalia Jackson, who was seated near King, leaned over to him and said, tell them about the dream, Martin. She had previously heard him speak in terms of Psalm 126 about being like those who have a dream. And if you watch the speech, you'll notice that King pushes aside his prepared remarks and delivers the speech that ignited a nation's imagination, enchanted our collective conscience with new possibilities. He shifted his speech, proclaiming that help was on the way, testifying to a God who is coming with that famous line, so even though we face difficulties today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. Beloved, there remains a dream for wholeness, for peace, for justice, for love, for all things to be made well. And that dream is alive and it is coming on earth as it is in heaven because this world is charged with the grandeur of God, enchanted with possibilities that we can only begin to imagine. And so as we pray, stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us, we can trust that indeed help is on the way.